get a really good feeling about this. This is the Outlander Club, a Rebel Scum podcast. Everyone has a story. Here are those Star Wars stories. Don't forget to join us on Patreon for exclusive bonus content and early access. Here's your host, James Razile. No, I'm telling you, it's going to be great. When have I ever steered you wrong? This is the Outlander Club, a Rebel Scum podcast. I am James Rizile. Thank you so much for joining me here on episode one, the very first episode of the Outlander Club. The word fandom has been around for over 1,000 years. It, of course, came from the word fandom, which in itself originated from the word phantom, which means temple or shrine, which is somewhat fitting to what, of course, fandom is today. A lot of people have their temples and shrines. This podcast, The Outlander Club, is about the fandom of Star Wars, about enjoying Star Wars, but more than that, it is about our personal journey through Star Wars. How did we get into Star Wars? What does it mean to us? And where did it leave us off today? So let's kick things off with the very first episode of The Outlander Club, and meet up with the member of the Brick City Blockade, Robin Vogt. Push it! Punch it! Punch it! Leave that to me. Joining me now, after a hard day of clamming, from a galaxy far, far past Dorchester, we got Mr. Robin Vogt. Robin, how hey, you doing? Hey, hey. How are hey, you? Hey, it's doing good, man. Doing good. Super excited. Yeah, so I don't know if you know, but I was auditioning to be the new voice of your intro. <laughs> I can tell. I can tell. You're really giving James Brown a run yeah. for his money on that one. I like it. it was, I like it. I thought I had the accent down, and I'm just <laughs> <laughs> the New England accent. The New man, England accent. Is... I could crush it here in Toronto, Canada. That's how I do it. <laughs> uh, before we get into anything, why don't you just give us a little bit of a background of what I'm talking about with Brick City Blockade, and 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 that uh, podcast network. Yeah, so Brick City Blockade Podcast Network is a positive, positive podcast network that really focuses on in-depth Star Wars conversation. We talk about the news sometimes, but as you know, we got a crazy Scotsman, we got Sean Michaud, we got all these people from across the globe that join us on the podcast, and I've had the wonderful opportunity of talking with many different people from Star Wars, Ingvid Delia, Stephen Stanton, different people who've been involved in the film, so the podcast network really likes to involve at www.brickcityblockade.com, all of these aspects of the Star Wars fandom bring them together for you, the fans. And much like Rebel Scum itself, loves to get you, the fans, involved in said conversation. So it's it's been a blast. And the podcast network, like we say, everybody is part of the blockade. The blockade is what brings it all together. That's what I love about doing the podcast is the interaction I get with Star Wars fans who I otherwise would not have meet, like you, for instance. Like There's yeah. just so many people who are positive about Star Wars and love talking it, and that's what I love about doing doing the podcast. Yeah, it's great, man. These interactions go beyond the galaxy far, far away, and they just span so many different generations, too. They span my generation. They span my father's generation, and it's that's what it's all about is bringing everybody together in the end. Yeah, I love it. Let's talk a little bit about your generation. You are uh, a bit younger than I am. You were born in the in the year 1993. I can say that out loud. Uh, you were born then. This is what I refer to as, for me personally, as the Star Wars dark times. This is when, mm. for me, um, a little bit, 
The only time I really watched Star Wars around this time was at Christmas. I had a VHS tape with Christmas Vacation and Return of the Jedi. And Return of the Jedi was the first movie on it, and Christmas Vacation was the second. And I would put it in, and my dad would say, set up the movie, because Christmas Vacation would always be in December. (laughs) That's right. His birthday is on December 20th, and it was always that day. So he said, set up the movie, because he wouldn't wait for the fast-forwarding. That's too much work. So I would go and set it up, but I would always get hooked on Return of the Jedi every single Christmas. But aside from that, I don't think I gave it much thought in the early 90s. Right. You're born in 93, the dark times. When were you first introduced to Star Wars? Wow, great question. So I was probably introduced to Star Wars. I think I believe it would have been probably the 96, 97. I was very young. I was probably about four years old. And my dad actually had a VHS of Star Wars A New Hope. And he had it lying around. And, of course, at that time we we're living in Connecticut and we had the – old-fashioned 90s television with the VHS player directly uh, attached to the uh, said TV. And I remember just out of nowhere, I think it was a rainy day, and my dad was like, you know, check out all these VHSs, choose one, and just and we're just going to pop it in. And I was very young, and he just sat me on the couch with him. And the one that I chose was A New Hope, and he popped it in. And how do I remember this? I don't know. I don't even remember working with kids yesterday in school. So this is this is pretty profound. And I sat there with my dad, and I remember seeing the opening to A New Hope and the blockade runner heading out and Star Destroyer chasing after it. I mean, that, that everybody talks about that opening and how iconic it is. As a four-year-old, it's like, whoa, wait a second. There's a world beyond just drinking milk and having lunch and breakfast every day and letting mom and dad take care of everything. Uh-uh. These droids are ch- being chased by stormtroopers and have some other mission they want to accomplish. And I remember sitting there and thinking, wow, this is just something foreign to me that maybe I won't understand now. Now that I look back at it, I didn't really truly understand what it was until I was older and reflected on it. So I think that first memory for me was sitting with my dad watching A New Hope at four years old. And then, of course, right around then was the beginning of the prequels, too, and being introduced to that as I got older. Yeah, I want to get into the prequels in a little bit. but So you start with A New Hope, which is great, because that's the one you should start with when you (laughs) you go with it. Did you have the experience of of the reveal of Vader being Luke's father? That would have been probably about two months after. After I saw New Hope, my dad was just like, here you go, let's get through it all. And uh, at that age, again, I I didn't really understand what that meant. And I remember my dad explaining it to me. Um, It really wasn't until I was like eight or nine that I was like, okay, this is a little creepy. Luke kissed his sister and... uh... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you know, Vader is his dad. So it was it was an interesting little twist for me. And I think that that was the one that was the one that really caught me off guard the most was that Vader was Luke's father. And it was the one that stuck with me the most. Like, oh, my goodness, this is actually a story of family. And it meant so much to me. Yeah. Did you watch Return of the Jedi right after that? Of course I did. Yeah. <laughs> Didn't Are waste you... any time. <laughs> Were you a big Ewoks fan? Oh, dude, the Ewoks for me were like, how do I put this in the appropriate standard? Uh, Let's say Furbies on steroids uh, (laughs) for me at the time. But they were a whole other thing. It was like they're these furry creatures who reside on Endor 
And it was like, oh, they're so cute and everything. And then I remember watching the scene with them bashing in the stormtrooper <laughs> helmets during the Battle of Endor and and taking out uh, the uh, ATST and everything alongside Chewbacca. And I was like, wow, these things are these things are they're doing what they need to do to make sure that their their home isn't destroyed. And it was that it was just fantastic to see that. And I think the other thing about it too is there's something magical. I, I will say about that scene and seeing the Ewoks and seeing their interactions, that, that tribal sense. And again, family, again, is so important. And the Ewoks, man, they're just so cool. Yeah. Uh, so this is uh, around the time of the special editions. Mm. So in a few ways, you kind of, you hit it right at the right time. Yeah. Uh, your love for Star Wars. I, do you know if these were the special editions you were watching or not? I I imagine the first one, the VHS that I watched, was not the special editions. Um, but I remember watching Empire Strikes Back and then Return of the Jedi. Pretty sure later on down the road that those were the special editions. I think my dad showed me the non-special edition of A New Hope just to be like, this was the one, man. This was the one I remember seeing in 77. So that would mean that the toys were back on the shelves. Did yes. you find yourself getting those toys or were you kind of not so not there yet? Yeah, I think in terms of the collecting side of things, I didn't really hit that until I was like eight or nine. Um, I think it was just before I hit my double digits that I that I started really, you know, getting involved in Star Wars Legos was the biggest thing as I started getting older, especially after, again, we'll talk about it, but the Phantom Menace and the and really seeing those Star Wars Legos take off, I think that that was my big thing. And then, of course, the action figures and whatever else. I saw them in stores and I was like, oh man, this is so cool. I didn't have a ton of money at the time, so I saw these things and uh, we didn't we didn't have the chance to really purchase them. But as I got older, it was like, okay, now I, now I can finally have some of these items on my shelf and actually enjoy them. So it wasn't until, yeah, right around uh, I hit my double digits that I really started getting into it. And your double digits would have been after you saw the movie you just mentioned. Episode one, The Phantom Menace. Before we talk about the movie, I got to know, because you were, you were, I was a teenager in high school when that trailer dropped. When the trailer debuted, yeah. I, was a high, I was in high school. So it was a, so I had the ability to go online and wa- and spend a whole day downloading on QuickTime an entire computer class. I'm going to watch this trailer in computer class and download it. And, I, you know, I could go to the theater myself and watch it in front of Waterboy. Oh, wow. Yeah, but so for you, what was your first moment realizing The Phantom Menace was coming? And did you have a moment with that trailer? Wow. I think that the, the first thing for me... When it comes to that trailer, and I have to remember back specifically to when I saw the trailer, and I think the big thing for me with that trailer was that um, there, there was a lot of mystery surrounding um, Phantom Menace, what the storyline was going to truly uh, withhold, what stories were we going to get, um, and also just seeing everything, Qui-Gon Jinn and Obi-Wan in that trailer wondering okay these are other guys with lightsabers the only ones i knew up to this point were luke skywalker and obi-wan kenobi i i didn't know that other jedi existed and and being so young watching that trailer it's like oh my goodness there's so much more again there's so much more to this than just what i watched as a young kid so i think seeing qui-gon and obi-wan in that 
in that teaser trailer for Phantom Menace was a big, big part of my fandom really starting to show itself and saying, wow, there's more to explore in this galaxy far, far away. Now, you might have been a little... No, I think you were right around the age that George Lucas had planned for the Gungans and specifically Jar Jar Binks right, right. to hit. As a teenager, I love Jar Jar Binks. <laughs> I am not ashamed <laughs> to admit that. I never had a problem with him. Yeah. So you would have been right at the age that George Lucas had said, this is who this character is for. Yeah. I want you to tell me, was he right? I personally have always been a huge fan of Jar Jar Binks. I have always loved the comedic relief that Jar Jar and the Modbast had brought to the screen. Uh, he is such a cool character. I think he defines childhood. Um, I feel like at my age, I saw how goofy he was and how in a very serious situation, his goofiness could actually get him into a situation where it actually would help others. And I think being kind of the awkward nerdy kid that I was, I was kind of like, well, being Jar Jar and being kind of awkward and nerdy is actually not such a bad thing at all. So I, I was, I was super happy with what Jar Jar Binks was and what he sh showed in terms of uh, a character in Phantom Menace. And I, I was totally in love with his that awkwardness and uh, the character. How was it around the playground at school for you? Like I said, I was in high school, so I wouldn't know because we you know, we weren't going like, I'm going to be Jar Jar today. You're Padme. <laughs> it wasn't like that. How was it for your experience at school? Were other kids into it or were you kind of isolated in, in your Star Wars fandom at that point? Oh, totally, totally isolated uh, as a Star Wars wow. fan at that time. Yeah, it, it was very interesting because I had a group of friends that I was around who were playing Star Fox and were doing everything else for the N64, and I would hang out with them all the time. We'd pretend to be Sonic the Hedgehog. You know, we'd, be, we'd do all these cool things. I, I'd see him as cool things. Other kids were like, nah, look at that nerd over there. We're going to string him up over on the, on the swings after school. Um, but it, it was... It was really, as as a Star Wars fan at that time and being so young, you found your friends, but being on the playground, you really couldn't talk about it. And it's crazy to think about that because other people would look at you and be like, he's a nerd. He's not going to do anything with himself. We're not going to associate ourselves with that. It was really unfortunate. And I think uh, the ultimate retribution is nowadays where it's good to be a geek and it's good to be a nerd. <laughs> I'm kind of looking back at it and I'm like, ah, you should have jumped on the bandwagon while you had the chance, folks. Yeah, it was like 22 Jump Street laid that out perfectly in that movie. Yes. They go back to high school. So did, did have you, do you still talk to any of those friends and have any of them converted to Star Wars fandom now? That's, it's funny. Actually, there were a couple of uh, friends who I grew up, up through high school here in, uh, when I lived in Exeter, New Hampshire. And I think for years they were like, oh, you know, Sean and him, they're the Star Wars nerds or the guys who just kind of do their own thing and whatever else. Oh, we're not going to really associate themselves with it. And it really was when Force Awakens came out and we started doing the podcast network that they were like, oh, okay all right there's other there are other people like them okay there's there's wow there's millions of people like them okay and they started talking with me finally and they're like hey remember back on the playground like back in the day when we used to pick on you for being a star wars fan well uh yeah star wars is pretty cool now i think and uh it's cool now looking back at it i think um 
you know, I kind of see it as being like, okay, you weren't there then. Don't worry about being there now because this is so, so much bigger than just that. It, it it's it's about being part of that fandom, and I I still. Every time somebody contacts me and says like, "Hey, you know, hey, I see this podcast network that you're doing," I'm kind of like, "You weren't there then, so don't don't, 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 don't try, don't try." You're not welcome. Well, listen, but you're not welcome here. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. It is amazing what you said though. Is Star Wars? You know, you you first experienced it with the New Hope, and then you watch Empire and Jedi, and then you really got to experience with the prequels, but it but it's become more than just movies. And I think that's part of, you know, yeah. we were talking before we started recording though, we, we were talking about how there, there was kind of like that hate on going on for a little while in the fandom. Yeah. And, and, and I always think about it. It's like, well, is it because star Wars fans, none of them are, they're like snowflakes. None of them are the same, you know, like, and I don't mean snowflake <laughs> yeah. in the new term. I, you know, like no one's <laughs> no, the no, same. No. And, and like, you know, you you like it because of this, and you read all of those books, and you read those comics, and we all kind of come from a different yeah. point of view on Star Wars. Mm. Mm. It, it, it's it's one of those things that I feel that um, that this this. It, and I'm not even going to call it a divide because I see yeah. it when we're, you know, and you know this as a podcaster, when you're sitting and you're talking with different people in the fandom, it really, we do live in a pick and choose galaxy right now where you can just read the books or you can just read the comics or you can just re- watch Star Wars Rebels or you can just watch the films. And it's fascinating that we have gotten to that point where something that we've always just seen as a film and a franchise, uh, Disney has now given us this multiverse format you could say where we can pick and choose our stories pick and choose where we want to go galaxy's edge now coming to disney it's like now we can experience that in person if we just want to go about it that way and then live i could keep rambling i could keep going with it but it's one of those things that every time you turn around there's something new that we can bring in to our fandom and allow everybody to enjoy it and i say this all the time at the podcast network james i say it all the time you can choose it. Don't hate on others for their choice. Just enjoy what you like within Star Wars and be happy. Very true. Great, great words. There. That's accurate. I couldn't say it uh, any better because that's exactly what it is. We have this thing. You know what I love right now is we're not getting a new Star Wars uh, film after Rise of Skywalker for three yeah. years. And people are complaining. And I said, that used to be the norm. We used to have to wait three years in between movies. You're spoiled. It's true. I mean, at one point we waited 16 years and then it was 10 years. Stop it. You're spoiled. Yeah. Well, yeah. we'll do it. We're going to get Disney Plus shows, you know, three live action shows happening there. You know, the, the animated stuff. Is, you're going to have so much Star Wars coming at you. Don't worry about those three years. They're going to fly by. They really are going to fly by. I mean, and it's funny, I think, as as podcasters, too, and I talk to even some of the Star Wars fans who we talk to on a daily basis, I think that the majority of Star Wars fans are along the lines of, yeah, you know what, I'm going to read the comics. I'm going to do these other things to fill in that gap. Disney Plus, and like you said, all these streaming television shows that are just going to be giving us more and more content at a great price line, by the way, is is perfect and is exactly what we need. And it gives, and everybody says this with, with Star Wars, where's the timeline? Kathleen hasn't told us the timeline. Bob's not giving us the timeline. Well, guess what? 
they're giving you other stuff so that they can work on the timeline and they can make sure that everything is lined up the way it should be so that as Star Wars fans, we hit 2020, we hit 2022 when we're supposed to see these next series of films and we're like, okay, okay, I get it now. I get why they did what they did. <laughs> yeah, and Kathleen Kennedy said a celebration, Chicago, they're mapping out the next 10 years of Star Wars. Yes. So yes, it's gonna it's gonna be fine. We're all going absolutely. To be fine. Unlike when the Phantom Menace ended, and we didn't know what was gonna happen. We didn't know if we were gonna get a blue Darth Maul clone in Attack of the Clones That's or not. Right. Now, <laughs> you would have been hitting your. You would have been almost double digits by the time Attack of the Clones came out. Yes. So you're getting a little bit older. You're a li- little bit more aware of what's going on now in Star Wars. Mm-hmm. Attack of the Clones is coming. How excited were you to see this movie? Because you said the people in your class, in your school, you know, you were kind of isolated in your fandom. So were mm. you anxious mm. for this movie or was it just one of those things that you're like, oh, it's coming out. I guess I'll see it because I like it. I think the one thing that Attack of the Clones did do, and I will, and I say this to this day and sometimes I get hate for it, sometimes I don't. But the trailer for Attack of the Clones at my age was probably one of the most appealing trailers that I had ever seen because there's just so much action in it. And there were so many different um, aspects to it. You know, we finally see the clones being used. We finally see Anakin Skywalker and Obi-Wan Kenobi in action. Um, There's so many different aspects of it that I still feel today that I'm like, oh, this is... This is still George Lucas feeling, and it and it's unique to that style. And at that time, I was still of the mindset of, you know what, never mind what these haters are saying. I'm going to go see Attack of the Clones. I'm going to love this film. I'm going to do what I'm going to do. And amongst my friends who are into it, I think we were all in agreement of like, not necessarily like a pack, like a, like a like a gang or anything, but we were like, yeah, we're in this together. We're gonna, we're going to watch our Star Wars. We're going to love it the way we do. And I don't think it ever really changed how I approached going to see a Star Wars film, which is which you don't hear that often. You hear a lot of people saying, "Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna mold myself to fit in with everybody else. I'm gonna continue to do what I need to do to fit in." That's not what it's about. It's about finding that group and just rolling with it. Absolutely. And in this movie, your favorite Gungan, his screen time was cut down significantly. Yes. Did you have any feelings on that? Not your feelings now, maybe today, but your feelings um, 17 years ago when that movie was released. Can I mean, you believe it's been 17 years. That's it's insane, man. I feel like every single day goes by. Even it, I feel like once you hit 25, like <laughs> after that point, every month goes by, and you're just like, okay, all right, when am I 40? When am I 42? When am I 43? When is it coming? When, when, but, the, when the new trilogy comes out, that's what. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Yeah, I mean, it, it was very surprising knowing how much of a role Jar Jar had inside of Phantom Menace, and then suddenly we walk into Attack of the Clones, and it's essentially non-apparent at that point. Um, the only big role that he really had in many ways was his interactions with Padme, and having to take essentially, essentially taking on more of a senatorial role for Naboo, and quietly, quietly... Uh, being manipulated uh, by, by by the Emperor himself in many ways. And I think that screen time being cut back, for me personally, I was kind of like, wow, okay, so this is, it's not necessarily an underutilization, but it's like, okay, where are they going to use him going forward? 
And even at that age, I was questioning. I was like, this guy was so cool. I enjoyed him so much. Why did they cut back his time? And as I got older, I started to realize, it's like, okay, George had a plan. Uncle George had a plan for how he wanted to use him. But I think that's the brilliance of the genius of George Lucas is Jar Jar Binks. Because I yeah. was, I, like I said, I was a teenager. I loved Jar Jar Binks. When I got into college, uh, there was a lot of Star Wars fans, like hardcore Star Wars fans that I went to school with. And they knew that I yeah. loved Jar Jar. And when we went to the midnight show of Attack of the Clones, and when it ended, everyone was like, wow, what'd you think? Jar Jar was barely in it. And I was I was bummed about the lack of Jar Jar. Yeah. But now when you look back, and, and I think what George Lucas did was even more genius than Darth Jar Jar because he made him mm. the whipping boy of the, and he basically creates the empire. Yeah, he and does. And he, he ends up making Jar Jar Binks the most important character in the saga in a lot of ways. Like without yeah. him, you know, who does Palpatine, I'm sure there's somebody, mm-hmm. uh, but that's mm-hmm. what I thought was the genius of what George Lucas did. And he did it with basically writing the character out. Yeah. Yeah. He, it, it, much like we've seen with Dave Filoni and the rest of the Lucasfilm crew is putting that character on the shelf for a little bit. I said that on the podcast all the time is this concept of putting a character on the shelf because he's going to be utilized somewhere else down the road or his story is going to be inserted in different places and we've seen that now we've seen that jar jar has suddenly you know we see a mod best come out and finally speak his mind and say what he needed to say and then we see him in the comics we see him in aftermath from chuck wendig we see him used in different spots and you're kind of like okay all right this is cool this is this is kind of revitalizing my thoughts about the character even though he had that cut time and it's Again, that callback to Phantom Menace, it's like, okay, he's still a little bit of the goofy Jar Jar at the same time. And it's it's nice to see that. Yeah, I know. He gets to hold a lightsaber. Yeah, I know. He gets to hold a lightsaber. He gets to be juggling <laughs> in front of kids on Naboo and Empire's End. Yeah. I'm like, oh, yeah, Chuck, de- what did you do? That was a depressing ending. But when, it, when it, Ahmed Best said at Celebration Chicago, where he said George Lucas told him that right now people might hate Jar Jar, but the kids today, in 20 years, they're going to love you and remember you for that. And you yeah. are exactly who they're talking about, who George Lucas yeah. is talking about. Yeah, I mean, he, he defined exactly... <laughs> I, I don't want to say George Lucas is like the emperor and being like, I, <laughs> I have foreseen the future. No, it, it's not that at all. But... It's it. He was right, you know. It, it, I think he did face his trials and tribulations playing the character, and people have their opinions on him. However, in the end, in the end, people respect everything that Ahmad Best brought to that mm-hmm. character. And I think us as podcasters, we respect everything because it is Star Wars. It is what defines this storyline. Every character has a major play in it, and I think Ahmad has been always a big part of that Star Wars family. Absolutely. And and you are that age and now the writers who are writing these books and these comics are of that age and so he's getting his due. Jar Jar is yes. getting his due. It's about time because the next movie he was basically not even in. <laughs> That's right. But now you're hit it, you're almost a teenager and you are about to see Darth Vader appear on the screen for the first time in your entire life. I don't know if like for the first time you get to see Vader and you're gonna see Anakin transform into the Dark Lord of the Sith. How excited were you to see that? This is where my Star Wars gets very interesting. Uh, To to say the least, because 
it was with the uh, addition of canon outside of the books and reading. I, I think reading just a lot for a Star Wars fan in terms of connecting the pieces finally and and saying like after Attack of the Clones and then heading into uh, Revenge of the Sith, which which Revenge of the Sith by the way is my favorite Star Wars movie of all time. It does so many amazing amazing things i think cinematography wise and production wise that I, I feel that star wars and hopefully we see that kind of style come back here at the end of the road of the skywalker saga but that's beside the point uh revenge of the sith and anakin making that transformation into vader i think was poetic i always saw it as being a transition that was necessary not just because of the story but because of how george lucas slowly saw anakin falling to the dark side and slowly saw padme uh losing everything that she ever wanted in life and the emotions the emotions that it held were, were simply simply uh, amazing it, and the way that george did it and then of course finally the 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 scene where he's like no you know i did i need the no to go that long probably not i think a, i think a simple just no that's not what i really wanted but the, you know uh overall that the transition from anakin to darth vader is one of my favorite parts of that film and it means so much with how it's paired up with obi-wan going to Tatooine and having young Luke. I, I, it's, it's so poetic in so many different ways. Have you read Lords of the Sith? I have read Lords of the Sith. Okay, I want to ask you a question. I want to side Akbar, which we do on the channel a lot. I want to side Akbar to this because I've read Lords of the Sith. And uh, when I first started uh, dating my wife, we watched. she wanted to watch Star Wars one day randomly. This is before Force Awakens came out and all that stuff. She's like, come on, watch Star Wars. Nice. And I said, yes. <laughs> so I put on, I got, the, I got my... My six-disc Blu-ray, nice. and I put in The Phantom Menace, oh. which is not the one you would put in. But I said, <laughs> I said it's going to be Phantom Menace, so I threw it in there. And we're, you know, the crawl comes, she's like, whatever, and then Qui-Gon, Obi-Wan. And we, it got to a point, I can't remember what point, and she goes, I wanted to watch one with Vader. And I, said, I turned to her, and I literally said, just you wait. And we watched nice. all three prequels in one sitting. Wow. And then she was dis. And then the next day we watched the original trilogy, but she was disappointed that the that the movies ended. She was like, she wanted more prequel era stuff. Wow. But the reason why I bring that up is right after that, we were at her parents, and her father in law said, "I want to watch Star Wars." <laughs> I didn't really? Have, I didn't have my Blu-rays with me, so we got old VHS tapes. They were the special edition widescreens. Oddly enough, I was. Oh like, yeah. I was like, thank goodness. So we put in New Hope and watched it. And the reason why I asked for Lords of the Sith combined with what I just said was when we watched Star Wars that time, A New Hope, it was, it was the first time in all the years. And this was probably five years, six, seven years after Revenge of the Sith, the Sith even came out. Mm -hmm. And I, was, I could hear Hayden Christensen Anakin under the, under the mask. And and I just mm. want to know because someone who's read it, if you've watched them in order like that since, and if you connect with Vader, because I connect with Vader now on a completely different level. Yeah. And it and and I think Lord of the Sith has a lot to do with it because you get in his mind. Yeah. And so I just think the string of those, and then and then Lords of the Sith, and my timeline might be wrong. I might have been I might have watched the movies a long time. The movie mm -hmm. been a gap. Mm -hmm. But anyway, it just I can hear Anakin 
the I feel like his pain underneath it, and he's yeah. kind of doing this because he's almost feel like this is his only option now in life is to live this. And mm. I just want to know if if you've ever connected like that after reading that book. Oh, one hundred percent. Lords of the Sith is probably one of my top novels that I continue to read today, and I think one of the best parts of that book, like you said, is just ab- just getting into Anakin's head, and even today, when I go to watch um, the, a, a New Hope, and then heading through Empire, and then, of course, into Return of the Jedi, I think what that book does is, when you're in that moment with Palpatine and Vader, and he's looking at Luke, and then he's looking at the Emperor... I, totally in that moment, I'm like, okay, I can hear Anakin. I can see his emotions deep inside that mask. I can really feel what he's feeling. And even when he's talking to Leia at different times, like even in A New Hope when he's trying to get the plans out of her, you know that there's definitely a conflicted Anakin inside of that, somebody who's possessed by the dark side. And it's hard at times as a Star Wars fan now, you're kind of like, I like David Prowse and I like what he did inside the inside the the costume, but it really is Hayden Christensen's Anakin that sticks out the most when you hear him talk. And again, I, another movie that stands out to me the most with that is Rogue One, because when you see Vader state in Rogue One, based on the modern canon and the way that we've seen it play out in the Vader comic too. And it's amazing how many times I watch Rogue One and I'm like, that's Hayden Christensen Vader really digging into the dark side in that moment with Krennic. And then, of course, uh, on the blockade runner. Do you, do you wish that you saw when in Rogue One when they have the tank and you kind of and you see Vader in the tank and the camera's spinning around? Do you wish you saw Hayden Christensen in there? That's that's a really interesting point because I think in deep down inside who have done there without the full mask and just do Anakin with just the breathing apparatus. I think I don't know if it's really truly been explored in canon, but in different times within even Star Wars Legends and whatever else that I think um, Star Wars is not afraid to pull from that anymore, that Anakin did have a secondary helmet piece that he did wear where his head was exposed because he had to essentially it sounded like a, a breathing <laughs> a breathing routine to allow his skin to try to rejuvenate itself other than within the, the Bantha tank. But that in that moment would have been so cool to have seen this alternative Vader going through the hall and seeing his eyes, the Sith eyes, with the red saber. It would have been like, okay, Gareth, you've done something beyond <laughs> what our, what the fans even expected. So yeah, I think that would have been really cool to have seen that. Never too late. Never too late. Now, okay, so Revenge of the Sith, your favorite Star Wars film ever, which is I hear a lot of. A lot of people who grew up with the prequels say that. A lot of them. And yeah. uh, uh, I love that. That's awesome. Uh, it's my least favorite. No, it's not actually. I'm just saying. <laughs> <laughs> I, no, I, I love Revenge of the I love the prequels. Yeah. Uh, but now it's your dark time. I had my dark time for Star Wars. Now you are entering your dark time for Star Wars. George Lucas says, we're done. We're not making any more Star Wars. Do you keep your fandom going? Or did you, or did you give in to the dark side and forget about it? This is interesting. There was actually a period of time 
I want to say it a four to five year stretch where I, I just did not touch Star Wars. I, I, I totally had forgot about it. I think being a teenager at that time, there were other things happening in my life that I was like, hey, I'm going to turn my focus to these things. And yeah. it, it really was. And this is the funny part. And, I, and I, I've said this on the podcast a couple of times. But I, I, I feel like it was a Patreon exclusive that only a few people probably listened to. Uh, but it was 2012, the acquisition of... Disney, uh, Disney buying Lucasfilm and buying the property of Star Wars from George Lucas was the exact same year that I graduated from high school. And it was two weeks before I graduated that it was purchased. And I remember sitting there with my co-founder, Sean Michaud, and looking at each other before graduation and saying like, oh my goodness. And we connected once again. We connected with Star Wars once again. So there was that period of time where it was non-apparent, and then boom, literally just before we are leaving high school, it hit us again. And it was amazing. It was amazing. So yes, I gave into the dark times because of my selfish teenage self and <laughs> not staying true to the Star Wars fandom like I should have. But it's funny that it worked out the way it did, that it was just two weeks before I graduated that we got that news and it just rejuvenated everything. So in what way did it rejuvenate for you? Because now it's 2012, you're graduating high school. You say it rejuvenated. Did you just go out and be like, I'm going to go to the bookstore. I'm going to buy all the books that I can. Or you're like, I'm going to go turn on the, the movies. In what way did it rejuvenate you? And then how did, how did it take you to 2015? I still had all of my Star Wars books. I still had all of my Legends books. They were literally in a box in my room, sitting there alongside a couple of action figures that I had as a kid. And I think there was just something about that moment that I found out about it and going back and looking into those books. And I, I think it was kind of like, okay, this is a reality to me again. It's something that I had lost. And then finally opening up the, the dusty box again and looking into these books and remembering my childhood. I think that's what Star Wars really is, is remembering your first moments in your childhood. And being somebody who's graduating, it was full circle, too. It was like, okay, I remember where I started and where I am now, and now I'm going out into the real world. And it was – I remember the moment sitting on my bed and, and opening up that box and looking through the books and really, really doing a check on myself of – where am I now? Where was I then? And going through those books and remembering my childhood and being like, yeah, this never really died. It never was dead inside of me. But going into the real world as, a, as an adult, what does George Lucas always say? The Star Wars is built for the 12 to 13-year-old trying to find their way in the galaxy. Well, George, you got this 18-year-old who was trying to figure his way in the galaxy who ended up going back into it. And it really helped guide me. It really did after that time. And... Where the dark times did consume me, I feel like the rejuvenation was looking back at my childhood and saying, like Luke says in the trailer, no one has ever really truly gone. My childhood was not gone, and it, and it, and it really spawned itself again. Star Wars is like that friend that you lose touch with over the years, and then when you reconnect, it's like no time has passed at all. You're yeah. back on. Yes, exactly. Exactly. That's one of the best ways I've ever heard it said. So Star Wars is back. You collect a little bit. Yes. When did that start? 
So Star Wars collecting was literally right around the time of Force Awakens. I, it really hit me hard. And I will be the first to say this. Actually, no, I'll be the one millionth to say this. <laughs> Funko Pops. Funko oh, Pops. Yes. When Force Awakens hit and we see our first look at Kylo Ren and we see all these new characters... I mean, it, it was just like, whoa, okay, okay, okay. These are brand new characters. I thought for sure I'd be like, okay, so Force Awakens, we're going to see Luke, we're going to see Leia, we're going to see Han, we're going to do all this. They did not do that for the marketing of the toys early on. It was really just Kylo Ren, Rey, Finn, Poe, and these new characters. And the one that stood out to me in terms of collecting was Kylo Ren because I looked at that character, I looked at the Funko Pop, and I had like five or six different variations of the Kylo Ren Funko Pop when Force Awakens was really, really starting to move. And I was like, wow, this is the new Vader. This is, And I was always a Vader kid growing up. I was always like, Darth Vader is my guy. So to see that, again, rejuvenated my fandom. And also, I think at the same time, in terms of collecting, I was like, wow, there's other people collecting this stuff alongside me. There's Star Wars collectors out there. I didn't know these people existed. And being part of that conversation meant so much to me. And later on here is, is the podcast network started. We had collectors come on and we started talking about it. So really it was with Force Awakens having those Kylo Ren Funko Pops and getting those uh, 3.75 inch action figures and uh, it really rejuvenated that sense and really jump-started my collecting side of Star Wars. It, and it's so cool how it took one film and that memory of a childhood to do so. Have you ever gone to any like great lengths for a, any like a Funko Pop or any collectible where you're like, I need to get X, <laughs> but I have to go all the way over there to get it and it's going to cost me all of my salary that I've ever earned in my entire life, but I will get it. Have you ever have you ever been on an adventure like that? Wow, that's a really good question because I feel like I've gone on those adventures and I've be, I've ended up short many times. <laughs> um, I, think, <laughs> I feel like the one for me was when Sean Michaud and I were doing uh, Avon Connecticut Public Library. They were doing a, a big Comic-Con convention. This was... Um, back oh let's see this would have been i'm looking at them right in front of me uh the 2017 this would have been the star wars celebration and uh it was the galactic convention exclusive grand admiral thrawn and this was the first time that thrawn was really in the picture in star wars rebels and i remember going to avon and up here in new england at the time it was hard to get that thrawn because people were putting it on on the shelves and people were actually stealing them from toys r us's oh, wow up here in new england because the value on funko pop collecting at the time was like 32 33 dollars worth of value and they were 9.95 so people were finding out about this through the collecting forums people were putting them on ebay for 60 bucks so what are people going to do they're going to go out and they're going to try to take them and it's sad that we have to even have that conversation uh when it comes to collecting and i remember being there with sean we called up every single Toys R Us in Connecticut and we tried to figure out because they wouldn't put them on the shelves and they wouldn't tell us if they were out on the shelves Ugh. which was even worse we drove to West Hartford Connecticut we showed up at the Toys R Us there was this young kid there who actually happened to be wearing a Star Wars The Force Awakens t-shirt who was working there and I walk up to him and I'm like hey <laughs> it felt weird too but I was like hey 
got any of those Grand Admiral Thrawns in, in the back there? And he's like, hold on a second. He went back and he grabbed two of them, one what? for Sean and one for myself. And we were – there's even a picture over on social media of us holding them. And we're like, oh, my goodness, we actually got it. And so that was really like the great lengths that we went to was we're like contacting every single Toys R Us within a 90-mile radius just to see if we could get them. Because we couldn't, we couldn't get them up north. And nobody would answer our question. It, it was insane. That's one of the f- most frustrating things I find is – Nothing is ever well, especially in in Canada here. But nothing's yeah. ever available, and when it is, it's it's you know eBay for ten times what it's what you're yeah. paying for it. It's it's unfortunate, but I guess that's the world we live we live in right now. Yeah, what are we going to do about it? Were you ever into the Clone Wars? The Clone Wars for me was really uh, a late. Blo- I was a late bloomer to the Clone Wars. I, I had watched it here and there. Um, it was funny because we I recently talked with uh, Amanda uh, uh, is Amanda Gra- yeah Anna Graves who was Duchess Satine uh, in the Clone Wars and I was talking to her about this specifically and she was like hey do you remember seeing the Clone Wars stuff in the theaters and do you remember watching it on Cartoon Network and I was like you know what I, I kind of did I remember seeing it in the theater the first one and then after that I was like yeah I was here and there the animated stuff I was not used to yet I was always a film guy so I was like, okay, I'm, I'm going to have to work my way into it. It really wasn't until I started doing the podcast that I really started to rewatch The Clone Wars and get into it because I knew some of the canon that went into it. And now I would say I'm a pretty big Clone Wars fan. And it took some time, but I finally got to it. So what about Rebels? Because, you know, Disney takes over, they abruptly end Rebels, or, <laughs> end Clone Wars. Yeah, that's and right. they're like, oh, we're going to make Rebels. And I, I, look, I was older. I was however old I was, 30, whatever. So I, I was like, yeah, okay, they're getting rid of Clone Wars and they're making Rebels. And Rebels looks like a cartoon. And I, from my point of view at my age, I did not care. I always say yeah. when I was a kid, I watched droids and Ewoks. And my right. dad, who was who got me into Star Wars, and my mom, who got me into Star Wars, they never watched those cartoons and said, this is ruining the franchise. They were like, you're a kid. Go watch that. <laughs> so that's how I always viewed it. I was like, well, whatever. Right. But for me, Rebels took off in a way I never expected it to. Oh, my goodness. But you're, I want to know what you're – because you're younger than I am, so you might have been at that age, you know, graduating high school where you're like – or going into college where you're like, oh, what is this? After Clone Wars. Mm. So what was your first impression of, of Rebels? I could not – stand it <laughs> i could not stand rebels i didn't think there was anything creative about it within the first two seasons i didn't think that it was original i was i was a real pain in the a about it and <laughs> i didn't think that <laughs> i was like where's the george lucas film from clone wars where's the dave filoni that i remember where did it go but man oh man the minute it hit the end of season two heading into season three I was like, oh boy, this is not a kid's TV show. This is doing something that we never, never thought Dave Filoni would get into. Especially, I mean, the Clone Wars had dark tones. And I think that that's why Disney at first was kind of like, eh, let's, let's, let's not continue that. And let's try to bring in the younger audience early on into this new product. But man, when it hit, it hit so many different people. And I, I, I don't feel like I'm alone. And if there's anybody out there, please hit me up on Twitter and, and, and send me up the rails for this. But I don't know if there's many people out there that with the first season were very confident about this series early on. I think a lot of people watched the first season and were like, 
all right, where's this thing going? What are we doing with this? We could have had the last season of Clone Wars, but this is what they decided to go with. And again, the development of Ezra, the development of Kanan Jarrus, somebody who I had read in a book. It was like, okay, what are we going to do with this guy from A New Dawn, this brand new character, Hera, and the rest of the crew? And boy, once it hit, it was like, wow, this is Star Wars. This is exactly what I wanted to see. Yeah, full steam ahead on that one. And then they bring in Ahsoka, and they bring in this character, and then they get rid of this character, then they bring the character back, and it's just like, well, now is she my favorite Star Wars character? I don't know. I'm so conflicted. Oh, Because yeah. it's like, just, like, I'm, like, as much as I want, like, Ray's great, and that's great, but, like, what is going on with Ahsoka? I need to know more. Yeah. And it's that's a testament to good storytelling. Oh, big time. Big time. Ahsoka's one of those characters. I know she's a personal favorite of the podcast network. She's a personal favorite of mine because she, again, she takes on that role of being put on the shelf and being taken off at the right times in the right places. And she does that perfectly. The way she's introduced in Rebels, the way that she's used, and again, at the end of that series, the way that they leave it as a cliffhanger is exactly how a character should be utilized. And I just love the buildup through the Clone Wars. And now that we're getting the Clone Wars again and seeing her, it's like, yes, yes, this is exactly what we were hoping to see. Yeah, and and in the new Clone Wars, we're going to see her and Maul, another character that just gets cut in half, left for dead. Then they bring the character back in Clone Wars and then in Rebels and then in Solo and every time he comes back it's like wow is this my new favorite character in Star Wars because yeah, the more they, more they bring them back the more intriguing they become and like you said with Ahsoka is they leave it on a cliffhanger but it's satisfying we, so satisfying yeah we want more but we felt like we got like it's, it's oh it was perfect so perfect so perfect and it's left on the note of there's still hope in the galaxy her and Sabine, they got a they got a journey that they're going to be going on, but then they leave it as okay, but we're not going to tell you when that journey happens. And it's like, oh, come on, come on, Dave, what are you doing to us? Have you seen? Um, after Rebels ended, they had a it was the the premiere of Rebels, I believe, and then they had mm-hmm. a Q and A afterwards, and Donald and Dave Filoni's up there, and he gets a question from Donald Faison. And Donald Faison says, hey, Dave, is the next cartoon going to be about Sabine and Ahsoka traveling the galaxy? And Filoni laughs and he goes, oh, you'd like that, wouldn't you, Donald? Ha, ha, ha. And then it's announced that Donald Faison is a voice on Star Wars Resistance, the next series. So it was, uh, have you seen Resistance at all? You know what? I've, and I'll be, I'll admit this. I've had a hard time following Resistance, and I think it's that follow-up to Rebels. I really do. And to be honest with you, the release of Resistance has come at an interesting time for a lot of us Star Wars fans because it's in between a hype machine in many ways. The release of Clone Wars coming back, you had Solo at the time, and then you have The Last Jedi, and then you have Episode Nine here, The Rise of Skywalker, it's taken a back seat with me. I'm not saying that I'm not going to continue to give it a chance. I think it's a really cool series. They have some great voice actors on it. Our friend Steven Stanton, Don Faison, um, Bobby Moynihan from SNL. Yeah. I mean, some, some really great, great people associated with it. 
but I feel like I'm treating Resistance a lot like I treated Clone Wars back in the day. I feel like it's going to be one of those ones that I'm going to go back to later on here, and I'm going to be like, oh, this is really cool. I see why they did this. Yeah, I'm curious how that one's going to play out. It seems like it, it as much as Rebels seemed like it was for kids, and then it grew, it grew up a little bit, this one, I have this feeling that it's going to stay course of what it is, and it's just going to live in that, and which is fine, because again... You know, this might not be our Star Wars. It might be Star Wars for the nine. For somebody else. Yeah, it might be. Yeah. For somebody else, exactly. So Disney takes over. You said that when they when they purchased Lucasfilm, you opened up your box and you found all of your legends. But they weren't legends then. They they were. <laughs> That's either. right. But you opened the book. You got them all. But one of the first things they announced, Disney announced, was uh, aftermath, a trilogy of books that were going to take place between yes. Return of the Jedi and the Force Awakens. Were you excited for that, having all the books that you had? Were you looking forward, anticipating the release of Aftermath? I had that first book pre-ordered as soon as it was announced. I was like, oh man, they're even getting back into doing the novels. They're getting back into doing the books again. And I remember being like, okay, I'm somebody who likes to do research. I'm somebody who likes to look into things before I really get into them. And Aftermath truly is just an alternative place within the universe and everything that is happening at that point and the time period in which it fills and the way that chuck wendig had worded it was perfect and i remember pre-ordering aftermath the first one and am i a huge fan of it no i'm not a gigantic fan of it i think the one that defines the entire series is the last one empire's end just because of where it falls but in the end being able to pre-order a Star Wars book and have that feeling of picking it up from Barnes and Noble with the exclusive Barnes and Noble sticker on it, I was like, "Oh boy, here we go again." I I remember this this feeling uh, deep down inside of me when it comes to Star Wars. So yeah, I, I think that that really rejuvenated a lot of the uh, opening up that box again and now having a new novel to place alongside them was just amazing. I found it incredible that Disney, for me anyway, and it sounds like for you, had this ability to say, hey, we're going to release a book. Yeah. And you're going to be as excited for this book as you are for this movie that's going to be coming out in a year. Like, get ready. And because, I mean, look, yeah, I was more excited for Force Awakens, obviously. But I was really excited. For, like, how many books come out? And I'm like, I got to get them. Oh, my God. It's the Like, I was acting like it was a, a, like a new movie coming out. And when I was reading it, like you, I'm not the biggest fan. It took me about 100 pages to get into the thing. Yeah. Uh, but but it was still, I mean, I think he played it right by starting with Wedge, start with familiarity. Yes. I also think personally that one of the problems was he was handcuffed a little bit with what he was allowed to say. Sure, absolutely. Yeah. And that's a topic for another time. One of the problems I have with the new canon is, and that's why I think it's good that they're planning out these 10 years. Because when you have 10 yes. years planned out, then you can write a book without and take the handcuffs off. That's right. That's how I feel. So Aftermath, you've read that one. You've moved on. Let's get to the big ticket. The Force Awakens teaser trailer. Where were you when that thing came online? When Force Awakens teaser trailer hit, I was actually in an education course at Great Bay Community (laughs) College finishing up an essay in the library of the school uh, for a uh, theories and special education course. And I remember sitting on the computer and at that time I'm, I, I'm a huge Collider fan. Uh, I love it, everything that Collider does 
across social media. And I started listening to Collider Jedi Council. They were with Ken Napsok and the entire crew. They were like the first real Star Wars podcast you could say that I that I really started to latch onto. And I remember sitting there and on my phone getting a notification from Jedi Council saying teaser trailer released for Force Awakens. And I was like, oh my goodness, this thing just dropped. Uh, in library. I was the only one in it too. <laughs> the librarian's on the farthest side. She knows I'm a Star Wars fan. I'm sitting there with my Star Wars t-shirt on. And she looks over at me and she says, did you see the news? And I'm like, yeah, 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 yeah. Hold on, hold on a second. Hold on a second. So I turn off the computer and I'm sitting there and I'm watching the teaser trailer and she's watching it on her library computer and we're watching it together and we're literally having the same emotions at the same time. We're like, whoa, what is it? What is going on? And then the Han moment happens. The Han moment happens. And she's just like, oh my goodness. And (laughs) it, it was a shared moment. And that, that, I haven't seen that librarian since, of course, now that I'm gone from there. But it's one of those moments that I just kind of was like, okay. It was the reinvestment moment. It was like, okay, Disney did what they needed to do. They brought Star Wars back. They bought it. They're giving us this film. And then so much was riding on that first teaser. And it did not disappoint. It leaves so many questions open as a Star Wars fan. And... I remember my emotions in that moment. It was like, okay, this is, this is, <laughs> what was that? Um, uh, Finn said that. We're really doing this? We're really doing this? <laughs> that's how I felt. That's how I felt. I that I think that might have been my favorite Star Wars uh, trailer teaser until yeah. I think Rise of Skywalker might knock that one out for, yes. for me. Uh, I really like that. We'll get into that one in just a little bit. But I got I to gotta ask you because you're, you're the prequel guy. Revenge of the Sith is your favorite Star Wars movie like you said. You watch Force Awakens, and Chewie Were Home is such a big moment. So big. But they also kind of neglect the prequels in mm-hmm. in these movies. How, as someone who grew up with the prequels, how do you feel about that? Did, did, did it ever really occur to you? Like, did, did it sink in? Or is it just something that people talk about now and then and you're realizing later on? Or, or were you conscious of that while it was going on? Yeah, I was not conscious of it at the time. I think it was just so wrapped up in everything that The Force Awakens was going to give us that I, I really kind of almost took my prequel mindset and, and threw it aside. Again, this was I hadn't started the podcast network yet, so I wasn't really doing in-depth analysis and looking into this on a whole other level. But it wasn't really until later on that I really started looking at it, and I think it was really until after The Force Awakens that I started having conversations. And like you said little bit of a neglect from the prequels of uh the way that they the format the formatting and, and just some of the inner de- depths of the star wars story and it wasn't until later that i really looked into it and i was like okay you know it's, it's a new story i get it. it it's they're trying to tell a new story here with uh the the rebranding of star wars i guess you could say uh but yeah it's one of those weird things that I would think you'd think that I would have picked it up right away, but it took some time. It took some time for me to really hop into that. I know they had the the pod racing flags and then they removed them. Yes, uh, but that's something that when in the trailer we all talked about and loved it. But I, I didn't realize when I watched it in the theater, I did not realize it. It wasn't no. something that I said, "Oh my gosh, he took them out." It was later yeah, it was on until the end. It was a little disappointing, but at the same time, if you don't notice it, is it really a bad thing? 
Yeah, that's just it. it. It's it's the general population that goes in. I say this all the time. Is It's the general population that gets their butt in the seats, pays their money for the ticket, buys the popcorn, gets the soda, and watches it. And that's really what Disney concerns himself with is, are we able to do that? So, so us as the hardcore fans, we're like, oh, what did they do that for? Wait a second, hold on. You just asked the random Joe Schmo off the street who went to go see Star Wars. And they're just like, wait, there were flags flying? What are you talking about? <laughs> you know? Exactly. So, it's always interesting to see that dynamic. I though I would love, I would pay if they would just CG right now in a special edition of Force Awakens in Maz Kanata's castle, a Gungan sharing a drink with an Ewok in the back corner somewhere. I would pay for somebody to add that in. That's what I want. It, if if they can get Lin Manuel Miranda to do the reggae type song alongside J.J. Abrams and to voice it with him, they can give you an Ewok <laughs> and a and a Gungan doing a drink, uh, a couple rounds of shots in the back. That's yeah, for sure. Make it happen, Disney. Come on. <laughs> All right. So Force Awakens is a Revenge of the Sith, Attack of the Clones, Phantom Menace. You've now witnessed Star Wars films in the theater, but now you're going in as an adult. You're yeah. paying to see this movie. <laughs> you know, this is your hard-earned money now. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Disney, Lucasfilm, J.J. Abrams, they have gotten your excitement level up, your butts in the seat. What show did you see? It was the very first one you can get into. And take me through that whole experience in the theater. Thursday night, 7 p.m. showing. That I, I love it that they do. <laughs> I don't know how much longer they're going to do it. But it's that Thursday night before the actual Friday release the night before, being there with all the Star Wars fans, before I even had the thought of doing any kind of podcasting and sitting there as a Star Wars fan and the roar, the roar of the the words coming onto the screen, just the hype around me, everybody in Star Wars dressed up in their t-shirts, um, just getting ready to watch a Star Wars movie. And I think that it was a feeling that you really can't explain. I think us as Star Wars fans, we're in the theater for to see these films so much that I think we get used to it after a while. <laughs> I don't want to say you become numb to it, but you're almost kind of like you just have these conversations with everybody around you. But when you're that person who is either getting back into the story or you're just being introduced to Star Wars or you've always loved Star Wars, but this is the first film that you've actually seen on an opening night that envelops this galaxy far, far away. It changes that experience on so many different levels and the hype that builds up around that. So yeah, 7 p.m. showing on the Thursday, the night before, and the hype was real, man. The hype was real. How many people were in the theater? Was it full or was it empty? <laughs> Packed house. Oh, yeah. They even had to bring in some seats. They had no to even way. bring in some chairs what? to have people. Yep. They uh, they oversold. They oversold the theater. So there were some people uh, just on the corners. Uh, they had to put five or six seats on each end uh, just so that people could sit there and watch it. But people didn't care. People didn't care. They're standing up and cheering and clapping anyway. So they're <laughs> like, Star whatever. Wars. Yeah, that's just it. That's just it. And there were some people who, uh, even when crisscross applesauce and sat on the floor too, it was just like, <laughs> we don't care. We don't care as long as we get our Star Wars. So was Kylo Ren, did he live up to your Funko Pops? Or were you hoping for a little bit more? How did you feel about uh, Kylo oh. it's That's a... You know what? I've never had anybody ask me that question. That's such a good one because I think he did because of that first scene in Force Awakens when his ship came down. And his music, the, the Kylo Ren theme for me, when you fear, first hear it, it hits so many different levels. It's Old Republic. It's Darth Vader. 
it's the emperor it, it it's its own unique thing but wraps up all these different tones together and seeing him and i think force awakens does a really good job of until we have that interaction between ray and him and he finally takes off the mask you're looking at him and you're like who's gonna mess with this guy nobody's gonna do it it's like vader nobody's gonna mess with this guy look at what he's doing he gets mad and he starts slashing across an entire computer system on the destroyer that he that he's on when he finds out that there's a girl uh, suddenly on Takadana. So it's amazing. And I think he totally lived up, totally lived up to everything that I wanted Kylo Ren to be. Yeah, he's one of the most fascinating Star Wars characters. And I can't wait to see where his arc takes it. Like, how does he finish? I think that is yeah. the uh, Skywalkers. What are you gonna? What are you gonna do? So after Force Awakens <laughs> comes out, you obviously loved the movie. Yeah. How many times you see in the theater? Oh, you ready for this? Uh, <laughs> I saw the Force Awakens in theaters a total of seventeen times. No. Seven. Did Disney you? Disney should be sending me free stuff <laughs> left and right. They have half of my paycheck from a from a two week period. I saw the film seventeen times in the theater what was the most you saw in one day twice oh okay you so it's it. not that bad you saw it a lot i did did you I see did. it with different people every time i saw it with different it was funny i saw it with different people for the first three times and then randomly i and i think this is <laughs> this was always interesting is that people started asking me to go see it with them because after they watched it, they came to me and said, can you give me the background scoop? Like, what's the deal with this? What's the deal with that? What's the deal with this? What was the deal with that? Like, they almost used me as cannon filler. And I'm like, <laughs> am I being used here? Because if you're, at least if you're buying me the ticket and you're buying me the popcorn, I'll show up. Like, I don't mind that. But, you know, like, hold on a second here. But anyway, that was only a few times. Like, literally 10 or 11 of those were personally me going into the theater and really break. I know this film like the back of my hand at this point. And, and it's amazing. Every time I watch it, there is still something new that I pick up every time in the background, whether it's the CFX artist, whether it's the way that J.J. Abrams shot, shot a certain uh, scene from the film. It is just one of those films that every time I watch it, I'm, I'm in awe. I'm in awe of what it brings. So you saw that 17 times. That's incredible. But you didn't have to wait long for the next Star Wars movie, Rogue One. Were you excited for Rogue One? Like, Did it match at all with your anticipation for Force Awakens? Or were you like, no, nah, Rogue One's going to be fine? I had no expectations for Rogue One. I didn't think that the film was going to make any mark with me. I was like, okay, what, what is this all about? What are we going to do? And then I read that it was... It was all everything surrounding the achieving of the Death Star plans, how they got them, you know, leading up to a new hope. And I was like, okay, okay. The one thing that did it for me, though, I think that made Rogue One so much better was the book Catalyst. Yes. It, 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 it made it made my passion for Rogue One that much greater. And I think going into it, I was kind of like, okay, this is just, this is what I'm starting to see as filler. This is like just filling in gaps and trying to make this timeline even tighter and make us Star Wars fans really look in depth into, okay, this is what happens here, 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 and here. But it ended up being so much more than that. It really, really did. Did you ever think that Rebels was going to cross paths with Rogue One? I thought that it was going to get 
pretty darn close at one point. I think with Saw Gerrera coming into the picture and seeing the interactions between Saw and Mon Mothma, and Mon Mothma saying, well, Saw and his his band of wannabe rebels, it's like, okay, all right, here we go. <laughs> now we're really getting closer and closer. And then um, they go to Geonosis, and then Saw, this is where Saw in the canon this is where his lungs are really impacted because he goes into this highly contagious area and it really affects him later on. And I thought when we started seeing that in rebels, I was like, okay, we're really butting up close. We're really, really getting close. And I thought the end of star Wars rebels, we weren't going to necessarily get the Sabine and Ahsoka stuff later on down the road. I thought literally we were going to see something with Cassie and Andor in K2SO at the end of rebels and be like, okay, this is this is where it's gonna this is where it's gonna stop. This is what's gonna make the most sense in terms of wrapping and bringing these two together. It didn't do that, and I thought it was going to. Yeah, I'm curious if the Cassian Andor show, if if they will have anyone from Rebels appear in live action on that show in any capacity. I'm really curious about that because if you have an opportunity. That's the one because now it's not theatrical. It's TV and TV and it's animated and it's live action and it's yeah. the same universe. And now show me that they, I know choppers in rogue one and you hear Hera's voice in rogue one and the ghost is there, but they're yeah. not really there. You know, like choppers got a hidden aside. Yeah. So I would love to see just, and it doesn't have to be Hera. I'm, I mean, I'm pushing for Hera, but it could be someone, yes. it could be someone a little simpler. You know, let's see what happens. Yeah. So it's kind of cross paths or whatever. That's an opportunity yeah, to do it. I, I agree with you on so many different levels. And actually, just spawning off of that, I think the two people I would love to see show up in, in that case would be maybe a live-action version of Agent Callus, whether we see yes. uh, some of the – some of the uh, what's going on with the Empire during that time. And, hey, Governor Price, too. Do we see any of that come into – just the interactions between Price and Callus – that would make sense. It, it would make sense uh, that that would fit into that timeline because we see Krennic mentioned in Rebels. Mm -hmm. So to, to cross paths that way would be really, really cool. Yeah, it's something that hasn't really been done before. Like, yeah. An animated character in live action. Bring it. Do it. That's what I'm saying. Do that now. No one's listening to me. My, my <laughs> opinion matters to nobody except for Yoda's, which is fine. I'll, I'll take that. I'll take that. Uh, so Star Wars Celebration Orlando comes now. Yes. Uh, you were not present. You have not been to a Star Wars Celebration. I have not been to one, as, no. As of yet. You will make as your of... way there. You will make your oh, way Oh, yes. Uh, did you have uh, – was your podcast going at that point? Right around the time of Celebration Orlando, I think we were, we were really, really exploring – what we were going to do with the podcast network. Um, we had some loyal listeners. We had a, a good majority of people overseas. We still have, you know, that's a majority of our listeners are overseas listeners. And at that time, um, we were really moving the format from uh, talking uh, Star Wars to talking Far, Far Away with Scott Inch and bringing in him from the UK. And I think heading into Celebration Orlando, we had our listeners, but it really wasn't where we wanted it to be. So we just continued to push out content. We had our celebration from home thing that we did. So we were we had a special hashtag that people could follow while we were doing live podcasts. We did a lot of Facebook Live stuff. We did a lot of live tweeting. We had some friends who were at Celebration Orlando who would send us little bits and pieces from it. Um, it was really like a homegrown 
media coverage side to Celebration Orlando. And, and I'm kind of glad that we didn't necessarily go because it gave us that extra amount of time to make sure that everything was ready and ramping to go for the coming years. And it was so worth it. And Orlando, amongst everything that I've heard, that it was a mess at times and that the lines were super long and all these other things, it, it was an overall interesting convention. And I think from this side of the event itself I think as media we were kind of like okay let's see what we can do with this let's see what we can do with that let's see what we can do with this and give fans the news that they wanted I think that's what our mindset was Lucasfilm does such a great job of live Star Wars does a great job of live streaming the coverage yes and I know people complain that some things get blacked out for us at home and you know and I've, I've been to a celebration and I haven't been to more celebrations and I'll say this as someone who's but on both ends of it. I am actually okay with them blacking things out. Because, mm-hmm. you know what? Uh, and, and you know this, and everyone knows this. It takes a lot to go there, to pay to go there. Yes. Like, like if you're working, that's time off of work. Yep. And you've got to pay. And that's coming out of somewhere. So a lot of people save up a lot of money. And this is their vacation, their big vacation for the year. And they do it. Yeah. And if they're going to spend all that and they're going to go there, give uh, give them something. Just, yes. just do it. And I'm okay with that. And you know what? This year was the Mandalorian stuff. We're going to get Mandalorian stuff. It's going to come out. We're going to watch the whole thing. So just give That's them true. that. You know, you know, we're a, you know, a couple of months away from when it happened. No one cares anymore. No, one cares. no it's so true. Yeah. So it, that's how I feel. I don't know how you feel about it. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you. And I think I said this even on a recent podcast where I, where I was a little upset. I'm, I'm somebody who from a media side and somebody – who really focuses on the marketing, I'm like, okay, well, if you're trying to market a product, why would you black it out? But I get where you're coming from too, where it's like, if you're paying your hard-earned money and you're going to go there, yeah, let the Joe Schmoes at home. <laughs> I paid my money to be here. Let me let me get the content that I, I deserve here. So I get that side of it. But the other thing is too, is that we live in a digital age. Mm-hmm. And I thought about it after a while after I was like, oh man, why did they do that? Why did they do that? And I was like, Wait a second, it's going to end up on YouTube in the next hour. It's it's going to end up in the media somehow, or it's going to be out and about on social media and, and on YouTube. So I was like, it doesn't really matter. It doesn't really matter nowadays. You're going to get it somehow. You're going to get it some way. It's just when. It's simply just when. So I agree with you 100%. Exactly. And you know what? We're all fans. and Everyone's going to have their fun, and we're all going to enjoy it. <laughs> it's true. Back to Orlando, the big event of orlando was the last jedi panel yes we knew that trailer was coming i was i was at the show stage in orlando and there was this uh i don't know i would say a kid he was probably teen in his teens and he was so excited he had like his his booklet there and he's like oh oh no i have to go to the bathroom and we're all like herded in there like cattle and he turns to he turns to us and he's just like can you save my place? We're standing. It's not like we had seats. Yeah. We're like, you go and yeah, we'll make sure you get back here. And he got back before the trailer. He was so excited. But you watching from home, what was that experience like? And did the trailer live up to it for you? Yeah, I think that the hype coming out of Force Awakens and then knowing that Ryan Johnson was going to be homing The Last Jedi, I think, meant a lot to me. Uh, I like the idea of a new director coming on uh, to try to do a Star Wars film. And I think Ryan Johnson was more than capable of having the opportunity to make The Last Jedi. And I think for the trailer myself, uh, being from home and seeing it drop, it was one of those things where I was busy at the time, so I didn't watch it via that. 
it was again my phone right here pinging and telling me over on YouTube that a trailer just dropped and watching it for the first time that trailer was very impressive it was very different it was very dark and it did a lot of different things that I never thought Star Wars would do with a trailer left a lot of questions open and, and really did everything it needed to I wasn't blown away by it but it needed to do its its thing for the film it needed to get us ready for December were you ready for December <laughs> oh big time big time was I ready for December anytime a Star Wars film releases I am ready to rock and roll no matter what the trailer gives us so I was I was super pumped for December that's what the trailer always does it gets you hyped and and it prepares you for what's coming and were you were you there 7 p.m Thursday night Oh, you know it. We, it was funny because we have a very good working relationship with O'Neill Cinemas up here in New Hampshire. So we're lucky enough to do some trivia outside of the uh, theater before people can head in. So we were there at 530 setting up our promo booth and doing giveaways and doing Star Wars trivia. We had our Ultra Sabers with us so people could take pictures with them. And uh, it, it was really, really great. And I remember... <laughs> This is awesome. Before going in to see The Last Jedi, it was a very similar situation. I had to use the restroom, and the line was starting to form. And I was like, okay, O'Neill Cinemas likes us, but they don't like us enough to be able to save a front spot for us. So I looked at my my buddy Sean there, and I said, hey, I'm going to run to the bathroom. Can you keep my spot? And I came back, and I think one of the other podcast members had taken my spot. I'm just looking. I'm like, really, dude? Really? Like, I look at Sean. He's like, I, I don't know. He, he got me a candy bar over at the thing. I was like, oh, whatever, man. Like, that's the inner thing with the podcast network. They try to mess around with you. And, uh, yeah, 7 p.m. showing. All the fans were there. And they had interacted with us beforehand. So awesome. after the fact, they came up to us after the film. Like, hey, guys, what do you think? What do you think about this? What do you think about that? What do you think about this? And we got to record their reactions. And we got to share those on the podcast network, which was so great. So what were your reactions to Last Jedi? Because you know that this is... Hot topic. Yeah, it's a little bit of a hot topic. So what was your initial reaction to Last Jedi, and have you wavered from that at all? My first reaction was, what the heck did I just watch? My first reaction was, what the heck did I just watch? There were so many questions I had. It was like, okay, is Luke gone? Like, what's going on here? Like, wait, 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 wait. He was just talking to Yoda. He was just talking to Force Ghost Yoda, and he seemed okay. Like, what is he thinking that he's doing? And I think that there were so many different... How do I put this? It was a very different feeling Star Wars film. And I feel like I'm so used to prequel Star Wars and Force Awakens and the original trilogy, the feel that I got from those, that I didn't get initially get with The Last Jedi. And it took me two or three viewings to be able to truly understand what the film that does for the star wars universe and the first initial viewing i was like what the heck is this i i don't know what to make of it and the first thing i thought about it was okay when can i get out of work at a proper time so that i can get my butt over to the theater again so i can see it again and and really break this thing down how many times did you see in the theater so last jedi i did not see as many times i saw it probably a total of four times in the theaters I cut my numbers dramatically back, and I know that Disney probably contacted me secretly. And was like, well, Robin, where's your money, man? Where's your money? Like, we've been missing it. Um, but, yeah, I didn't watch it as many times, but I don't think I needed as many viewings. 
I don't think I needed it because the emotions were so heavy in it that after probably the second or third viewing, I was like, okay, I get this. I get this. And to be honest with you, first time saying, what the heck is this? By the second and third viewing, I was feeling pretty good about the film. I really did like what Ryan Johnson did overall. Yeah, for me, it was when The Force Awakens came out, Brock, who I do Rebel Scum with, he was like, we should see this movie 10 times. Like before I came out, so we should see it ten times because here we have. If you see a movie ten times, you get it for free. You get it for free the next. Oh time. right, yeah. right. So he's like, let's do it ten times and watch it the eleventh time for free. And we made the joke, and I saw it a bunch of times. He saw it way more than I did. I didn't. None of us nearly as much as you did. Right. But there was a different aura around everything about the Force Awakens. This was the sure. first one in ten years, and this was it wasn't the prequels where you knew Anakin was going to be Vader. This was something completely new and different that we had no idea where they were going with it because the story of Luke, the story of the Skywalkers had ended. You know, yeah, what, that's what, right. what are they doing? We don't know. This new characters are in here. All right, cool. Oh, Han's back. Luke's back. Leia's back. What's happening? <laughs> but then when Last Jedi comes, we're excited to see what is Luke going to do with that lightsaber. And then we get that. And so I want to know for you, when you watch the movie, the biggest moment was Luke receiving the lightsaber at the end of The Force Awakens. Uh-huh. He spent two years playing that out in our minds. He gets it, and he chucks it. What goes through your mind? Is this Luke Skywalker, or is this Mark Hamill? Like, that's the first <laughs> thing that came through my mind. Was This is a very Mark Hamill move. Um, I feel like this is the comedic relief. Like He loves to pull on, on Star yeah. Wars fans with his Facebook posts and his Twitter posts all the time. Um I, I think my first initial reaction was like, holy cow, like he just took that saber from Ray and just tossed it. But it made sense to me. I think after a while, it made sense. He wanted no part of it. He didn't want to do anything with that lightsaber anymore. So to lead off with that, rather than having him hand the saber and then saying to Ray, hey, come with me to the hut so we can talk about this, like <laughs> rather than having a whole yeah. session with Ray, that one moment right there is kind of like, okay. Like, and she's just like, excuse me, Master Skywalker, what the heck did you just do? I came all this way. And initially being like, again, like, what the heck is this all about? To being, I get it. It's, it, it's, it's pretty crazy. It's pretty crazy that you could change your emotions so quick just from a few seconds in a film. It, 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 I've never had that experience before. And the last time he had that saber, it was his father, Anakin's lightsaber. <laughs> Who was a heroic Jedi Knight who was killed by an evil uh, Sith Lord named Darth Vader. Yeah. When he loses it, he discovers that that Sith Lord is actually his father <laughs> who used that blade to kill younglings among many other Jedi. Yeah. Why would he want that back? <laughs> his whole basis for that lightsaber is a lie and it represents everything that he that he hates, you know, that he's against. Not hates, that's yeah. a strong word. So, yeah, of course he would toss it. <laughs> the other moment in that movie, for me, my favorite moment of that movie, and one of my favorites in Star Wars as a whole is the Praetorian Guard, Rey and Kylo scene. Yes. I love yes. that moment. But before that so moment, Snokey Snoke, whoever he may be, gets sliced in half a la Darth Maul and dies. Did you see that coming at all? Yes. Oh yeah. Yes. I I was, 
it's funny. I don't. I, I have to go back into the podcast archives. It's just like the Jedi archives. It doesn't exist, uh, <laughs> but it's somewhere in there. I think uh, I had said that for Kylo Ren to truly become somebody who's not the not Vader, but somebody beyond that, he would have to destroy Snoke. It's that whole mm-hmm. concept of the rule of two: the apprentice kills the master. And I kept that rolling through my head heading into Last Jedi was. All right, Kylo Ren killed his father. I get that. Okay, so that's step one. He goes and he tries to kill his... Not not purposely, because I feel like his emotions turned on him. Try to just kill his mother. All right, all right. It's a strong word. But it makes sense in that, in that term. And then, let me go. Let me kill my master. And let me move to the proper role in the dark side. So I saw it coming. It's the way in which it happened. And the way that Ryan Johnson had Snoke say... That he would turn the the saber and tr- defeat his true enemy, and then have that be him destroying Snoke. I feel like that. I did not see it coming out happening that way, um, but I had a feeling that Kylo Ren was going to do something drastic. When that moment happened, I kind of a friend beside me hated it, but I, I had this sigh of relief, <laughs> like, yes, thank you. Because it's like when yeah. you watch a James Bond movie and the villain has Bond and the lasers on him and then he has oh, to yeah. talk for two hours and then Bond escapes and kills him. <laughs> and you're like, well, you had it. You're like, just whack him. Just you got him. Why does he need yeah. to know? Just let him go. And I was like, that's what this moment was. This was the Bond villain taking out Bond. Just like, ah, you're done. I'm over you. And then we got yeah. an awesome fight scene as far as I'm concerned. I love that That's scene. That's the most important piece is, you know, getting rid of Snoke and then it's like, but then you get the Praetorian Guards. So by killing Snoke, now you've got the Praetorian Guards mad. So yeah. now you've been able to set up a pretty epic scene, which is perfect. And that scene has Rey and Kylo fighting side by side, yes. which then leads into another part that, as a Star Wars fan, I got to ask you about. It's the most. It's the most Star Wars moment of the sequel trilogy, when Kylo extends his hand and asks Rey to join him. It's happened in the prequels, and it's happened mm. in the original trilogies. It always happens. What did you make of that? That scene for me, again, I always see it as the yin and the yang, is the dark trying to convince the light, and the light showing, the light showing that it has an interest in helping the darkness get to where it needs to be, which is the opposite side, and that consistent battle that happens between the light and the dark for him to extend his hand after completely insulting her essentially and saying like you're nothing you're (laughs) nothing at all i mean what do you expect dude she's not going to necessarily take your hand right away i mean that's that's not a way to win off a girl anyway but in, in the long run in the long run i feel like that scene for me is kind of like okay we saw them connecting earlier on we saw them reaching out hands and luke coming in to basically barge in on that so it's almost like Ren felt a presence earlier on with her, and he wanted that connection again. And it's not necessarily that I I don't feel like it was necessarily that he truly wanted her to join him. He just wanted that connection with the light again. He he he's been pushing and pushing and pushing farther and farther towards the dark, but it's actually the light that's keeping him going. So to reach out his hand and to say, "Join me." is not necessarily that meaning. It's like, I need to feel the light again in many ways. So 
I thought that that scene in the moment, I was like, okay, this guy's just really being kind of, sorry to say, being a little douchey. But at the same time, is also trying to reconnect with something that he's familiar with. So that was really wasn't until after the fact, but it's a fascinating scene. It really is. It is. It's. I think that that is that whole sequence from Snoke going to the end of that moment to like to Ray and Kylo kind of separating is one of my favorites in all uh, ten Star Wars movies now. Yeah, I guess I'll say ten, eleven if you include the Clone Wars uh, movie. So for me, that's what it is. But you said afterwards you got to you actually got to talk to the the moviegoers that were there and interview them yeah. for your podcast. And I want to know what because this is a very divisive film. We know that. Yeah. What What was the the consensus? What What were they saying after that? Essentially, like what I was saying, like what the heck did I just watch? And I'll be honest with you, I think we've seen this enough in the fandom, but it. it this is when it truly started taking off was people, people were complaining. There were a lot of people that were walking out of that theater complaining, saying, well, this is not what force awakens set up. This is not this. This is not that. This is not the star Wars that I remember. This is not my star Wars. And I'm just looking at them and I'm like, I, those, to be honest with you, those are the audio pieces I did not release and <laughs> because we're, we're a positive focus network. Not yes. that we're, we're not looking for the money of Lucasfilm. We're just looking to get that positive conversation going. And to hear that consistently was kind of like, oh, wow. Okay. Like I'm coming out saying like, what the heck did I just watch? I'm not coming out saying that this isn't Star Wars. This isn't the Star Wars that I want it to be. That's not my job. My job is to is to try to find a connection in here and to really, really go back to the core of what Star Wars is, which was my childhood. And I feel that the consensus was very negative coming out of it originally. And I think it changed over time, uh, slowly but surely. I know there's still people out there. But yeah, the general consensus, consensus coming out of seeing The Last Jedi was, was essentially, what the heck did I watch and... And I'm not a big fan of this. Did so as as your your collecting goes on. Did it change at all from before from before you saw Last Jedi to afterwards? Because one of the things for me that really kind of annoyed me with the Last Jedi, not the film, but the the merch around it, was it was kind of lame. I thought yeah. personally, like I looked at it and I said, okay, well, nothing. There was nothing exciting for me that really popped out. There's a few Funkos that I thought were neat, but like. Nothing really stuck out. Yeah, I totally agree with you. I think that I'm gonna I'm gonna say this: the Force Friday marketing for the Last Jedi was very poor. It really was not well done. I remember going to Toys R Us and to Target. There really wasn't anything that really stood out to me amongst all the the collecting stuff. I mean, he had that giant BB-8 playset, which was $150, and I was like, ah, that I, I don't have that kind of money to be dropping on anything like that. And I think the other side of it too is that I'm somebody who looks for something that's very unique amongst some of the collectibles. I'm a big exclusives person with my Funkos. I like this, the, the exclusivity stickers that come with a lot of those. Um, I feel like, I'm going to say, I feel like The Last Jedi changed my collecting standards um, in many ways. So where when, what I mean by that is that Last Jedi was the first time that I felt that Star Wars really went with something mass marketed. Everything was very similar. Everything had a very similar style, similar feel. And I think for the boxing too, like Force Awakens boxing was all the same, but you had something very different about like the Funkos had a different colored box 
and the Black Series had their color. Literally, with Last Jedi, the Funko boxes were the same color as all the Hasbro products. Yep. Different brands had the same packaging. And it was in terms of marketing, I was kind of like, eh, this is not something. And it really threw me off of my traditional collecting standards. Now I collect autographed items. I, I, I really look into the, to the unique specialty items in the Star Wars collecting world because... I'm not somebody who goes towards the mass-marketed, same packaging for everything format. And unfortunately, I think Last Jedi kind of hit that. And I'm really hoping with the Rise of Skywalker, I'm really hoping that we see different packaging for everything. Everything that we get. Because that's going to rejuvenate that. The other thing with the Last Jedi marketing is they lost the Kylo Ren mask. Yes. so important for The Force Awakens. Before that movie came out, Every boy was Kylo Ren at Halloween. Oh, so many. So and then and look, it happens in the movie, and I'm not complaining about that in the movie. I think it made sense in the movie, but I also think that from a marketing perspective, the loss of his mask was a massive a hit. Yes. Uh, negatively in terms of that. Yeah, big time. Kylo Ren's mask. I, I mean, I have one of the half masks over here. I mean, for heck's sake, I I even did the Kylo Ren twins with Sean for one Halloween. We walked around. Uh, dressed up as Kylo Ren in, in red suits with lightsabers and stuff uh, during Halloween. I mean, that mask is synonymous with that character. And it was the one reason that I really latched on to Kylo Ren is it has a Vader feel, but it's unique and it's new. And being somebody who loves that unique sense in collecting, I was like, wow, this, this is something different that I have not seen before since Darth Vader items. And it really appealed to me. And to lose that in The Last Jedi... And just to show his face, like, I get it. Adam Driver's a decent-looking guy, I guess. He's got the scar across his face. I get it. I get it. But at the same time, that mask is synonymous with Kylo Ren. And to lose that is like, oh, boy, what are we doing here? It was a blow. I remember when, at the end of Force Awakens run, they started releasing toys of unmasked Kylo Ren. And we talked a lot about, is he going to wear the mask in Last Jedi? Yeah. And sure enough, he shatters that thing right away. Yeah. Wow. I... You know, I, I, I get why he does it in the movie, but it's also like, I don't know, man. Like, you guys just, Vader. Like, Vader would not have done that. He couldn't have yeah, no. died. But, you know. <laughs> <laughs> it's reality. It's but reality. It's like, I think, you know, I don't know. That's that's just me. I mean, but you mentioned Forest Friday, but at least the got one. Solo did not get yeah. a Forest Friday at all. Oh, my goodness. And for good reason, I'm going to be honest with you. I mean, none of those products really stood out to me. Again, the universal packaging for everything. Everything yeah. had that yellow and white packaging. And where I do like it, and I like the color scheme, just, again, to make everything that color, I was like, hold on a second. Hold on. Let's go back to our roots here. Let's try different brands, different packaging, and doing something different with this product. I agree with you. It was, it was no different, and it was again very disappointing. Yeah, that was disappointing. I think they did have more aliens and cool-looking characters to make agreed, but to make toys and and figures of. But yeah, just like you said, it it was kind of. And I personally, I love the movie Solo. I, I don't Me know too. But yeah. It, I'm glad you do. Thank you. <laughs> but it just, I find it I found it boring to look at. It was like, okay, I guess. And also I thought it was very hard to find as well. I don't know how it was where you are, but for me it's like I don't even know where they are now. I can see these they have these big toys that are, I don't know, they're they're not Oh yeah. Yeah, like they're for kids, which is fine. I buy it from from a nephew, but like I don't 
I, I don't know. I can't find a good solo figure to save my life. Yeah, it was so tough finding solo merchandise. I remember I had to wait almost two or three months just to even get a uh, Donald Glover uh, <laughs> Black Series, as <laughs> I like to call it, uh, of Lando Calrissian. We got the solo Denny's Cups before we even got half of the <laughs> solo merchandise. Those didn't, didn't even make their way to Canada. No, no, no. We called Denny's and they're like, I don't know what you're talking about. Wow. So, yeah, it was goodbye. So, Solo, did you see Solo on the Thursday night? I was a Thursday night showing, yeah. Again, I, that's my that's my usual routine. If yeah. I break from that routine, I'm going to go nuts. <laughs> but, uh, it, yeah, Solo on a Thursday night, it was great. And, and not the same amount of numbers in the seats yeah. as with a traditional Star Wars film. I was wearing my flip-flops to see Star Wars, which was a very different feel. So I feel like it was a really nice night, too. It, it was, you know, people are out and about when it's nice up here, and it's not 52 degrees and raining. Uh, so it, we're... we're it was interesting to see that very different dynamic. Yeah, same, same with my experience as well. I know people that didn't go because they said it's summertime. I don't want to be in the theater. I want yeah. to be outside having a good time. And I was like, I get that, I get it. And we're so yeah. accustomed now to seeing it in December. Uh, but what were your expectations going into Solo? Because they had, they were obviously high for Force Awakens, Last Jedi, Rogue One was a different experience. But now this is something completely different from all of those. This is a character being portrayed by a different actor in a prequel. That's a sequel to the prequels. And the one thing going into it that I think a lot of people, the casual fans had a problem with is we all know where the story's going. Yeah. Even though we clearly had no idea where they're going to take us. Yeah. And Alden Ehrenreich coming in as solo. I think a lot of people were so reliant on that Super Bowl trailer and seeing what his voice was going to sound like. Um, and I think the, and I said this multiple times on episodes was I feel like the marketing didn't hit the way I was hoping it to. They were very late to the marketing train. I think yeah. they thought, oh, this thing was going to self-market itself. Well, you're putting it up against the same timeline as Infinity War number one, which is which is dangerous. Which is very, very dangerous to begin with. Two products from Disney battling for the summertime. It's just never going to work that way. It's never going to work that properly. And mismarketed totally. And I think undermarketed mismarketed and undermarketed and i feel that solo does so much more when you watch it and you watch the film and you're like why didn't they push this more why didn't they move it to the december slot and really spend their time pushing the product it would have made a huge difference and i think that the film would have had a very different outcome if they had done so i agree i think it's an underrated star wars film uh, and I'm a huge Darth Maul fan, and I'm a huge Darth Maul fan and a huge Two Tubes fan, and both of them show up in this movie. Yeah, I was in my, th- I was in the seat, and, and a bunch of friends just look at me like, "Are you kidding me?" <laughs> <laughs> but did you expect Maul to come back at all? No, not in that, not in the way that he did, and to have that connection with Crimson Dawn, and to know, this is the big thing. And to know that his connection with Mandalore was so strong during that timeline, you're like, okay, Maul is on Mandalore right now in this scene, and he's trying to convince Kira to come and join him. This is huge. This is something very different. Very similar, I felt, to the Vader scene in Rogue One. That's really the essence that they wanted to capture with it, and it was done in a way that it was like, you know, (laughs) come to me on Dathomir. It was just, it was fantastic. Yeah, and it said... Okay, maybe you don't need a solo too. 
<laughs> but you're going to want a Maul and Kira. We're going to let's see where that's going because the, and the fascinating thing about Maul is we've seen him die now for real. Like he, yes. Kenobi kills him in Rebels, but that's ten years uh, after Solo. Well played, yes. So now it's like, okay, well, what happens in those ten years? Yes, and I, like yes. is Kira at this point and that point of Rebels is Kira now the head of Crimson Dawn? Oh man. Oh, there's so many questions along that that they could get into. And I think, and I said this again very recently, Amelia Clark now moving away from Game of Thrones and that being wrapped up here. She's got some time. I'm thinking she's got some time on her hand where she could jump in and play some uh, Kira maybe at some point. Yeah, you know what? Put it on Disney+. Plus. Give us a series yes. on Disney+. Plus Because like you just said, Game of Thrones series now are as big as movies. And, they yes. almost, and I, for me personally, I don't know how you feel, but Star Wars, we're going to get every two years in three years. Every two years. It will go back to being the event film that it is. Solo was never that event film like you just said. You were talking about right. that. Right. Put it on Disney+. Plus. Give us these little stories on Disney+. Plus, yes. And then blow our minds in the theater. Yes, absolutely. Market it properly. Put it on Disney+. Plus. If people are going to pay the money, give them the product. Give them the product on the side. And then make us wait for the theater. Just like we've always liked it. We've always loved it. That that build up to sitting, putting our butts in the theater, buying that popcorn and, and watching Star Wars. And to split those two, other people would be like, Well, 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 we gotta keep pushing the button. We gotta we gotta we gotta keep putting out the product. No, but do it in a smart way. Do it in a way that's going to allow us that proper amount of time to enjoy our Star Wars, but still give us the excitement. Exactly. All right, let's talk a little bit about Brick City Blockade. How did you come up with the name and what made you start it? <laughs> very, very interesting story, actually. And uh, students get out your pens and pencils, a uh, little <laughs> history lesson here. Uh, Exeter, New Hampshire, where I grew up in for uh, a good majority of my life, living in Southbury, Connecticut, and then going to Florida, and then finally living in Exeter. Uh, back in the 1880s, the city was known as the brick city there was a big brick um brick and uh brick factory that resided on the uh piscataqua river and uh, as it flowed into exeter a lot of the mills would use the water and its resources to power the mills that made bricks in the 1800s and it was one of those things that i was like coming up with the name and i was like okay well i could do something with new hampshire like the granite state blockade or i could do Something, something different with it. But I was like, I really want to be unique. And I want to keep it true to this area. So I actually went to the Exeter Historical Society. And I asked around. And I said, what are some of the past names for Exeter, New Hampshire? And I was reading through. And I was reading through. There were some really weird ones. Lilac City. I was like, no, that's not Star Wars. That's not Star Wars whatsoever. <laughs> and I came across the term Brick City. And I was like, huh. That's different, and I and I was like, okay, well, maybe they're gonna think this is a Lego podcast if I say Brick City Blockade, <laughs> and I still get that once in a while at conventions. I'm like, you guys don't talk anything about Legos on your podcast. I'm like, well, then you don't know who we are. Um, <laughs> but yeah, the term Brick City resided in the early 1880s in Exeter, New Hampshire. So, and I have always heard the term blockade throughout Star Wars, and I was like, how cool would it be if brick city blockade was like a blockade of just content and people could become blockaders and they could 
basically surround themselves around a brand and a name and a message and a podcast. And really, I took the roots of the town that I grew up in, and I just so happened to record everything from a brick apartment, which was so cool, in a bunch of brick apartments on one street. So it was like a brick city that I lived on. Um, and actually, it all came together. So Brick City Blockade became what it was based on that. Wow, super cool. All right, but you mentioned you know conventions. You go to conventions a lot. Yes. And you also get a lot of really cool guests on the podcast. Mm. So how, how do you get the guests on there? It's funny, and a lot of people always ask us this. It's like, how, do, how are you able to get, like, details and Ingvidelia and people who have been involved in Star Wars yeah. onto your podcast? It's a very simple answer. Just message them. <laughs> just, just, just simply reach out and say, hey, how, how is this looking for you? The end of the week, you want to talk some Star Wars with us? You want to have some fun? You want to really, like, I, there's some times that I have to actually submit a formal request to United Talent Agency or I have to actually submit requests um, to agencies to try to see if I've, I can get a guest on the podcast. Um, and I'll announce it here on, on Rebel Scum. Uh, we, we're going to have Claudia Gray coming up, which we're super excited to talk about um, Master and Apprentice and many of her f- future uh, podcasts that she's going to be on also. Um, yes, Claudia Gray is now becoming a regular on many Star Wars podcasts, which I think is great for yes. her product. And so we're super happy to have her on. And that was a simple contact. It was like we had had her answer some questions for us before. And I reached out to her team and I said, hey, you know, Claudia, want to come on and just talk some Star Wars and nerd out about being an author with us? Yeah, sure. Let me ask around. Let me submit some questions to Lucasfilm and see what we can do. Very open. Everybody who's involved in the Star Wars universe, whether they're actors, actresses, CFX, producers, directors, if you message them and you say, hey, I just want to chit chat and I want to have some fun with it. They're more than willing to take some time away and say, hey. Let's do that. Let's have some fun with this. So it, it, everybody's always like, do you have to sign contracts? Do you have to pay money? Do you have to do this? Do you have to do No, not in the Star Wars universe. You can just have fun with it. That's what I love about Star Wars is everyone loves the universe. Yes. Everyone loves it and they want to talk about it. And and all you have to do is ask. Yes. People Simple are so as that. open. Yeah, the greatest people you can meet are in this universe. You included, sir. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah. Disney's still asking for my money, so they I appreciate are, that. Yeah, Disney, you can also ask me for I'll ask Disney for their money. How's that? That <laughs> There you that, go. That'll there work. you go. That work better. All right, let's going to that's going to wrap us up. We're going to wrap it up. We've been going on. I've kept you here long enough. <laughs> Great Star Wars insight. Wait, before we go, this little movie called Rise of Skywalker is coming. Yes. I just walk me through that trailer. Your reaction to that trailer, and then we'll say goodbye. Oh my god! Roll it again. I mean, come on, man. I mean, come on. It, it's it's one of the most amazing. I'm gonna say it's my favorite trailer so far yeah. uh, from all the Star Wars trailers. It does so many different things. I mean, just the musical tones, seeing C3PO, Poe, and Finn uh, <laughs> battling or flying away from uh, what looks to be some oncoming uh, smugglers or something. I don't know what it is, but it really is that last scene when luke says no one is ever truly gone and you see the remnants of the death star 2 is what's what i believe it to be out in the distance and then you hear the, the infamous cackle and it's just 
Oh my goodness gracious. What a tease. What an absolute tease. And what a way. And then the title, The Rise of Skywalker. What does that mean? What does it do for the Star Wars story? Where are we going to go with this? It is amazing. I am so happy with what JJ put into that trailer. And he didn't give us a lot, just like he always does. Just enough. Just enough. Just enough to excite us and say, hey, just like he did with The Force Awakens, Star Wars is back. Yeah, yeah, there was a negativity that was left and all that nonsense, but yeah, shut it. We're here. We're here. We're going to have fun. There's a lights like they show you that lightsaber right away. They're like, "Lightsabers in this movie. Ties yes. are in this movie. Backflips." Oh, the backflip. Oh my goodness gracious. And the music. Oh, John Williams, man. The music is back. It is back. The cackle's back. The music is back. It's all back. <laughs> Star Wars is back. Brick City Blockade, that's where they can find you. Anything else on social media you want to tell them about? Twitter, Facebook, all that stuff? Yeah, I'll just give them the typical plug time like we usually do. www.brickcityblockade.com. Twitter at BrickCitySWPC. And over on Instagram at BrickCityBlockade. You can listen to us across iTunes. You know, you know the spiel. I tell you guys enough. You guys can go and you can find us across all the amazingness that is this galaxy. And don't forget too far to away. give us a, a give you guys a rating and a review also. Subscribe. Yes, please, please. Do all that over there. All right, Robin, thanks so much. I'll let you get back to your chowder right now. <laughs> I can't wait. I'm going to have to warm it up, but it's going to be good. <laughs> it's going to be good. Thanks a lot. I really appreciate it. Appreciate it. May the force be with you. Goodbye, old friend. May the force be with you. Thanks for listening to the Outlander Club, part of the Digital Charcuterie Podcast Network. I am James Razile. Music by John Norris. We will see you, hear you, listen to you, and speak with you next week, right here on the Outlander Club, a Rubble Scum Podcast, part of the Digital Charcuterie Podcast Network. And if you could, check out our Patreon if you'd like to support our show at patreon.com slash rebel scum podcast and also on twitter at rebel Scumcast. we'll talk with you later and until then may the force of others be with you Yippee!